Welcome to The Lisa Show. The use of biometric data, our physical information, is the latest battlefront of digital privacy. David Lazarus, a business columnist for the Los Angeles Times, is here to tell us more about facial recognition software, how it's being used by companies, and what that means for us as consumers. Thanks for being here today, David. Thank you for having me. So how do companies gather the information to develop facial recognition software? Well, uh, obviously, it's all about getting you to interact with various devices so that they can scan your face and use that as a data point. Now, in theory, that's all really interesting and potentially benign because it's a a security card, if you will, that we all carry around our face. Therefore, (laughs) you know, it it makes sense that you would be able to use that and use it easily as not just an identifier, but also as uh, a passport. I know that's a loaded word these days, but a way to gain entry to different things. So you might use it for security purposes. Let's say a building, rather than having a security guard or security cards, it just scans your face and in you go. And then there's the marketing side of it. Anybody who's seen the Spielberg movie Minority Report Mm -hmm. knows that scene where Tom Cruise is walking through the subway and the cameras are recognizing his eyes and targeting advertising at him based on that. In fact, I've spoken with a number of experts in that field who say, oh, yeah, that's not imaginary. That's coming. Uh, Oh, wow. So so that's a real deal as well. But the thing that I think is most alarming for ordinary consumers is just simply that this is a growth industry on the part of private companies. This is a major data point because it allows them to identify you, identify your comings and goings, and link that proof positively with other activities your online behavior, your online purchases, and then other data points that are readily available to to businesses, your age, your your location, your education, your background, I mean, all those things. You stir all that together and you get millions and millions of digital dossiers that the commercial world is developing on all of us, none of which is happening with our permission, and this suddenly becomes a little creepy and a little big brotherish. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about this collection and they all have it, I just think if if we don't even know it's being used, we don't know what they're going to be using it or the you know the potential for that. So what what have you discovered? Where does that software go from there? You know, what not only what sorts of companies are using the software, but how are they using it? Well, various companies are are now trying to promote um, facial recognition as a way to, you know, grease the skids, make things happen more smoothly in, in daily transactions. And, you know, it's, you can see why that's uh, attractive. In fact, I was just looking today and I saw how Amazon is going to be rolling out into its whole food subsidiary new technology where you'd be able to wave your hand over a, a, a contactless reader and it would charge your account based on your palm print. And again, it makes sense, and, and <laughs> I understand why you would do that, and that doesn't quite scare me quite as much as, I guess, facial recognition, but it's still the same deal. It's a biometric technology that is going to link you physically to some place, some time, some transaction, and that's just one other data point. And I think something that all Americans need to remember here is as we watch this brave new world develop, as we watch all of these incredibly powerful, incredibly innovative companies adapting these new technologies, America is one of the few developed countries that has no national privacy law. We simply don't have one. Even the Chinese have a national privacy law. And with that in mind, it's important for all of us to consider that we have no rights when it comes to this. Yes, there are state laws that address this, and California has the toughest in the country, but there is no national privacy law, and there is really no no law out there that addresses the fast-moving world of biometrics and facial recognition. It's just simply an example of new technologies outpacing decades-old regulations. So a quick pause on this, because my mind has gone two different places, one which is very <laughs> constructive and the other which will derail this conversation, will derail first. When I think about biometrics, the movie watcher inside of me yeah. thinks about how they pluck the eyeball of the individual to get into the safe to be able to... Or the 
the finger, you know, yeah, or the, the hand, and yeah. you're talking about facial recognition. And so I'm thinking, how are we going to take the face off of someone in a movie? I digress. Let's move on. <laughs> the no, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. You're, but you are raising a valid point. I was thinking about just that when I was think, looking at the story about the Amazon palm reader. Uh-huh. I was thinking, you know, yeah. all you need to do is cut off someone's hand oh. and you're in business at Whole Foods. And, and I know that sounds goofy, but that's kind of the thing. And, and as we start looking at this transition from, from existing security technologies and payment technologies to biometrics, then that does indeed become a thing. And I know it sounds weird, the I idea know. of, you know, like, like in, a, in a Marvel movie, Loki plucking out someone's eye mm-hmm. to get into a thing. But still, that, that suddenly becomes a legitimate concern, and I think it's something that we do want to think about, and we want our lawmakers to think about. Yeah. So, so then the other part of me, David, you need to know I'm a part-time conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. so the, my mind then goes, well, what do you want me to do, David? I have to have a face. I need to go out in public. I have hands. Do you want me to wear gloves and a mask in order to not be on the grid? When you talk about privacy laws, you said California has the toughest, but I mean, we have to have hands. We have faces. How how do we stay off do, the grid? Yeah. How do well, oh, not sure. necessarily stay off the grid, but how do we make laws around these things when we are going to exist and have these things? And the answer to that is it's all about the opt out. It's all about mm-hmm. having alternatives. People who are not comfortable with this cutting edge technology are entitled to have alternatives. And if that alternative is something really prehistoric like last year's technology, then so be it. I mean, the the important thing is that as consumers, we need to be empowered to manage our, our digital identities because quite simply, you have all of these companies all around the world fighting to get control of our identities and our personal information. And the only way to counter that is if the individual consumer has the power and the ability to stand up for him or herself and assert that right. In Europe, they've passed sweeping privacy regulations that go all over the continent that basically empower consumers to take control of information. They're allowed to opt out of virtually everything. There's even a a right to be forgotten, which means you can tell a company, you have to erase everything you know about me. I don't want anything in your system. And by law, they have to do that. And so in the going back to the biometrics, if you're not comfortable with an eyeball scan or a palm reader at Whole Foods, then you should be able to say, yeah, I'm just going to flash a card or use my credit card, remember those, or some other means of identifying and or paying, because that's the, the reality, that not everybody is going to be cool with these newfangled technologies, at least until we have a regulatory framework in place that puts up genuine guardrails to protect the public from abuses of this gathering and storing of data. So the answer to this is, we need choices. We, we need the ability for the consumer to be in the driver's seat as opposed to, say, an Amazon.com. Now, David, I appreciate that as a business columnist, um, that when you focus on consumer affairs, that, that you have this focus on what the ramifications will be for something like fa- facial recognition, which is what we're talking about, and, and digital privacy. And I'm, I'm curious at, of what you th- per, your perspective is in, in suggesting how we hold companies accountable for how they use sensitive data like this. Um, beyond legislation? Well, obviously, companies are going to act with impunity until somebody tells them not to. And that's, you know, perfectly natural. They're they're creatures of self-interest, and they are driven by profits and the profit motive. And again, that's fine. That's perfectly understandable. The reason we have regulatory agencies and regulators is to basically have a referee on the field Mm -hmm. to make sure that all the players are playing fairly and respecting one another. And that's the importance of regulation. Anybody who says, oh, God, regulation hurts businesses. No, regulation helps these sociopathic entities. And I say that in the nicest possible way. It helps them to straighten up and fly right. And that's not a bad thing, especially when you look back over the decades of corporate trespasses when it comes to whether our privacy, the environment, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to talk about. So 
the answer to this is that basically I want choices. I, I want lawmakers who are going to step up, acknowledge that we have a situation on our hands, and then accommodate this changing technology with a changing regulatory framework that makes sure that we have a level playing field. And that's my biggest beef right now. Mm-hmm. We just don't have a level playing field. All of our regulations, and certainly the entire digital infrastructure, favors business. It yeah. favors the companies that are most aggressive at gathering and exploiting personal information. Again, without our permission, w- without any sense of, of what they're doing, and that's not really acceptable. That's why the European laws, which are the, the best in the world at the moment, are very attractive, because they put the consumer first, as opposed to the business coming first. Here in America, the business interest comes first, and then we kind of untangle it from there. And okay, I understand that, and that's kind of the American way, but if you don't bring the regulations up to speed, we'll always be playing catch-up. So what are the ways that we can protect protect our data and our privacy when it comes to facial recognition software right now while we're waiting for those, you know, national privacy laws to to I don't know, start? <laughs> and, you know, knowing that we don't have the right to be forgotten like they do in Europe. I think the the answer to that has to be much much greater transparency on the part of any industry or business using facial recognition to be transparent about what data is being collected, how it is being used, how it is being stored. Those are the key things that that are 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 first and foremost among the concerns and that all consumers should be cautious about and and want to know about. And that's not to say that all consumers want to be challenging businesses' right to do this because these all might be legitimate advances. It might be progress on the march, but if you don't have transparency involved with something like this, it's the honor system. And I think I speak on behalf of all consumers when I say the honor system sucks. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to basically say, okay, yeah, I trust you, Enron, to do well. No, it's, uh, the, the corporate world needs to earn our trust. And at this point, I think it's fair to say they haven't, <laughs> at least not when it comes to digital privacy. But that's where I think yeah. for so many people it feels, it feels so futile because the ones who are pushing these biometrics are these, you know, hundreds of billion dollar companies because they recognize the power in data. And so, you know, who am I? I'm just a guy who, you know, can share his voice, can say, hey, we need, you know, these things to be changed, to have, you know, d- different moderators to be put in place, whatever the, the change may be. We don't feel very empowered to be able to make a difference. I agree with that. And I think it's very difficult for an ordinary person to think, ah, my voice is as loud as Mark Zuckerberg's or Jeff Bezos's. No, of course we're not. Of course we don't have that level of influence. And when it comes to promoting one's interests, yeah, a Jeff Bezos is probably going to get his way, whereas David Lazarus, probably not. And that's, again, the reason that you need a national privacy law. You need clear rules to the road in an Amazon world. We don't have that. We have rules to the road for a world in which, you know, people used to go in and transact over the counter with their local merchant and, and you know, this, this Andy Griffith sort of environment that no longer exists. Yeah. And yet our regulatory framework when it comes to consumer affairs seems to reflect that, yeah, we're all living in Mayberry when we're not living in Mayberry. We're living in God. There are dangers out there. Now, David, it's hard for me to not be cynical about something like this because they who would be able to write the laws and or a national sort of change also are funded by those individuals who would wish to not have those things be changed. Dude, my, my cynical is my address. I live there. So. <laughs> now, I'm going to be the vo- voice of hope, though. I, I, I want to you know, believe that people hear this and they say, OK, this isn't something that we knew before and we're going to vote and we're going to have a grassroots effort and get a national privacy law and have more choices and clear rules. No? And we will get there. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. we, we have to reach that place. And when the rest of the world is leapfrogging past us, that just rubs our nose in it. Like yeah. I said before, the Europeans have these sweeping privacy laws. The Chinese have enacted a national privacy law. I have no idea if it's worth the paper it's printed on. I, I couldn't tell you, but at least they're thinking about it. The fact that there have been calls in the United States for years 
for enactment of some sort of national privacy legislation along the lines of some of the laws that are in place in California, and yet we can't get anywhere, that tells you that the business interests are, are very strong in this country, and they are very much against empowering consumers to take charge of their digital lives, because this is a very valuable commodity in the digital age. This is why the entire business model of, say, a Facebook is to give you really cool things for free, and then behind your back, strip you of your privacy, take all that personal information, and leverage it for profit. And I use Facebook as just one example, because all of these major companies, Google, Amazon, Apple, take your pick, they all do the same. They give you cool things for free, and then behind your back, they are working you over on the privacy front. What we need is greater transparency. What we need is a spotlight being shown on these practices. If that's the new normal, then we need the ability to stand up in that new normal and say, okay, here are my rights. And I'm sorry to say, you have no rights at the moment. We don't, we don't do that. In fact, there isn't even anything in the U.S. Constitution that enshrines a right to privacy. You have the Fourth Amendment. You see illegal search and seizure, which sort of address privacy matters, but there is nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to privacy. These are issues that I think all Americans need to be mindful of when we are living in a world dominated by huge companies that are incredibly sophisticated when it comes to these technologies that aren't telling you what they're doing. Greater transparency in information, our personal information and how it's gathered, how it's used, how it's stored. Thank you so much for your passion and for joining us today, David. Thanks very much for having me. If people want to read more of you, get a little more of your cynical take, I'm sure that <laughs> it's not cynical.com, but I would be curious. Where can we find you online? And you should find me online. You can find my work at latimes.com. You can see me on video at ktla.com. I'm also on television every day. And you can follow me on Twitter at David Lab. Thank you so Thank much for you your time. Thank you so much. Coming up, more of The Lisa Show. Hey, you're listening to The Lisa Show. There's nothing quite like hiking. It's a really great exercise. You get to be in the outdoors. It makes you really appreciate nature in a special way. Uh, I love being able to hike where we live because there's so many different mountains and mountain ranges that you can see the most beautiful, stunning sights. And I know... Richie, that you have liked to hike. Of course. And uh, do you have a, a, a particular favorite hiking spot that you go to that, that, you know, I don't know, really like just makes the hiking experience just the quintessential hiking experience? Uh, I mean, anything for me where I get really, really, really sweaty and tired by the yeah? end of it. Yeah, for <laughs> that, me, that's, the goal. that's part of the payoff. And then if there's a destination mid-trail, so like if I'm hiking to a peak, I yeah. like that to be able to see the valley or mm-hmm. be able to see a mountain range that I couldn't see otherwise. Or I really like, uh, and there are a few places around here where we can do it, where at the end of you know, the halfway point where you're going to turn around, there's a lake and you can kind of just be like, oh yeah, Yeah. I'm sweaty and exhausted, but I'm going to go ahead and jump in that lake and take a swim and then, you know, hike back out. I've enjoyed hiking and as sort of a new, new to me Mm -hmm. hobby over Mm -hmm. the last year. Mm -hmm. And I have um, a lot of friends who are enthusiastic hikers, so I appreciate going with them, but I would like to have that sort of experience of that I've heard from other people of the, uh, enjoying the solitude of hiking, mm-hmm. just being alone with your own thoughts. But I do worry about that safety issue. Sure. And there's different considerations, certainly, yes. between myself going hiking and yourself going yeah, hiking. Yeah. And, and I want to be aware sort of of the, of, of the, th- I think that there are so many things that I don't know that I should know about hiking, about any kind of sport. And in doing a kind of a quick little survey around, uh, I know that it does keep people from enjoying hiking right mm-hmm. just just the sheer well I don't know where to go where do you start what if you get lost like how you know you kind of want to go with someone who is seasoned and so we thought that because of this time of the year looking across the country a lot of people are considering this we want to know the best ways to enjoy hiking to the fullest by making sure that we're safe and and knowing what we're doing so we've invited into or 
are right now a seasoned hiker here on this conversation to speak on hiking safety uh, so we can enjoy the outdoors worry-free with Kate Von Wass, Executive Director of the American Hiking Society. Thanks for joining us, Kate. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, I need to ask, I had no idea there was a an American Hiking Society. It's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, can, can anyone be a member or do we have to have a certain amount of miles behind us? Oh, gosh, no. Anyone can be a member. And believe me, I'm not doing hardcore hikes right now. I have an almost six-month-old and a not-quite-four-year-old. So we're doing the we're doing the short hikes, the you know look at all the caterpillars along the way kind of hikes. So definitely don't need to be a hardcore hiker as long as you like to put on a pair of sneakers and go outside, even just walk around your neighborhood. You know, come join us. I love that, and I love the inclusive society, right? Like it seems like hikers are always like, "Hey, come with us." Yeah, come, you know, it's very inclusive. Are. I love that. Uh, I think the number one thing and we've started the, this conversation off with that is the idea of safety. Sometimes we don't even know what we need to be aware of. What are some common uh, safety issues that hikers all need to just be aware of if if this is something that we're really going to get into? Yeah, sure. So some of the really uh, simple things like sunburn or bug bites or, you know, real (laughs) simple things like that, or just, you know, blisters. Um, So one of the things you can do is make sure that even if you're going out for a few hours or a few days, either way to always bring the 10 essentials with you. And we have the 10 essentials on our website. So you can just go to AmericanHiking.org and check it out. But it's things like appropriate footwear, Bring a map and compass or some kind of GPS that could be on your phone, right? But it's always good to have a paper backup. Make sure you have food and water, rain gear, first aid kit, that kind of stuff. So those simple things will help with a lot of a lot of the hiking safety issues, actually. Are there different safety tips when you're hiking alone versus when you're hiking in a group? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things is to let someone know where you're going and when you expect to be back. That way someone knows to look for you and, and realizes that, oh, it might be a problem if you, you know, said you'd be back three hours ago and you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when you do go for hike in a lot of places, especially if it's a federally managed land or like a national park unit or something, mm-hmm. there will be a ranger station there. So just make sure you actually check in at the ranger station before you start and sign that, you know, take the time to sign that little book about you know, who's hiking on the trail mm-hmm. that day. That way they can watch out for you too. The other part of that, and and I know from talking with folks, you know, make sure you tell people where you're going to hike is actually sticking to the plan and, and hiking where you tell people you're going oh. to. So often those sort of adventurous souls go, oh, but there's lots of people on that trail. I told everyone I was going to go this place and then they end up somewhere else. Absolutely. Uh, totally. And the other thing, so you should absolutely do that. You should stay on the trail. Don't wander off the trail for ecological and safety reasons. And the other trap that's really easy to fall into, whether you're a novice hiker or a really advanced hiker, and often even advanced hikers fall into this trap more, especially if you're going to a destination like you were talking about at the beginning, like you're hiking to a lake or a peak or some place like a mm-hmm. thing you want to get to is to no matter how quickly or slowly the hike is going or what the weather you're like I'm I'm just going to I'm going to push it I think I can make it to that you know to that destination even though maybe I don't quite have time but I'll I'll just go fast and it'll be fine don't do it do it by time okay. tell yourself set your watch like this is when I need to turn around to get out of here safely and before dark and everything and just let the destination go it's about the journey I love that. Uh, you know, as we are looking at different hikes that we want to go on and we and, and kind of along the same lines, we want to push ourselves, but we don't want it to be too much. How do we how do we know? I think just go with how your body feels, right? Because it also just depends on how you're feeling that day. You could be a seasoned hiker, but just not be feeling super fit that particular day for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. So Go with how your body is feeling. And obviously you don't really, if you've never been on a trail before, like the trail that you're hiking, you've never been on it before. So you don't know how dicey it's going to get. Like if you're going to have to do some scrambling that you're not comfortable with, or if it's going to get way too steep for you, it's okay. Just start on it. And if it turns out it's too much, 
don't push yourself to where you're feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. If you're feeling kind of exhilarated, you're probably fine. But if you're feeling like, I don't know, this doesn't feel quite right, mm -hmm. just listen to yourself and turn around. And it's totally okay to turn yeah. around. You tried that trail and that's fine. And you, and you might be able to do it another day. The obvious joke for those of us that uh, don't hike is is that they would say, "Well, my body's telling me I better not even set out on that trail. I'm I'm I'm, 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 I'm fine just just where I am. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to my body, just like Kate said. Right. Uh, other precautions that we need to take. I know with particular uh, hikes in the West, really being sure of weather conditions when oh, yeah. we go out. Mm -hmm. How 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 can we do that if we you know, if we're planning a multi-day trail or, mm -hmm. or those kind of considerations. Yeah. And I'm from Montana, so I know how that oh, precarious, yeah. how that uncertain mountain weather gets. Um, you know, obviously watch for the forecast, but in the mountains, um, the forecast doesn't always mean a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially in the summer. You can, in the mountains, you can almost always count on there is going to be an afternoon thunderstorm in the in the summer, right? Or some kind of rainstorm. So you want to, I would say, even if you're just going for a day hike, um, but obviously a multi-day hike, just be prepared for the fact that you might get wet. And so make sure you have a fly for your tent. Make sure you have uh, rain gear to wear. Make sure you have dry socks to change into, uh, even if you're just going for a day hike. So just be prepared for that. But if you think, uh, if you get caught out in a thunderstorm, then um, obviously you need to um, take precautions to try to stay away from lightning and don't be near anything metal. Try to get yourself down in a ditch or something like that. And if you do, if you're just going for a day hike and you see that the forecast really has thunderstorms in it, then just don't do it. It's not, it's mm -hmm. not worth risking it. Now, Kate Von Wass, you're the executive director for the American Hiking Society, which we already established as a really cool idea it's, in society it, we all want to be a yeah, part yeah, of. Yeah, basically, you remember yeah. the Cool Kids Club? Yeah. That's essentially what this is. <laughs> <laughs> Except I, that we're so chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and you just invite everybody. It's so great. Uh, and, and, and I appreciate this discussion on hiking safety to give us a little com more confidence of, of going out into the great outdoors, and I think certainly collectively we all feel that we want to, right? This this call to the mountains or to the great outdoors. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier to stay on the path. And, and I think that it's worth our time to mention, too, the, the environmental impact of a lot of people wanting to get out and going on these same trails. And so I'd love for you to give us a little bit more perspective about how we can really keep the environment and others safe when we're out there um, and, and our responsibility to do so, so that that we can all enjoy it for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. So, you know, remember, it's really important to remember that those trails don't build themselves, right? And the little irrigation ditches you see, mm -hmm. and sometimes the steps and the steep trails, like obviously those didn't just appear there. And most, and, and the fact that you don't see a lot of trash around the trails and stuff, obviously that's hikers cleaning up as they go, but, but also just all of that trail maintenance work is actually almost done you know, a huge proportion of it is done by volunteers. And so it's good to remember that a huge portion of it is done by volunteers that last year, um, because of because of the pandemic, and even up until now, obviously things are starting to ease as we're finding out more about being able to be outside as long as you're not in groups without a mask and we're and you know, people are getting vaccinated. Um, but before that, you know, we couldn't, a lot of groups couldn't really field a lot of volunteer crews, mm -hmm. which means that the trails were getting a lot of, a lot of use, but not a lot of love, right? As much as they, as they used to. Yeah. So, you know, good to stay on the trail so that you're ecologically not disturbing the habitat around the trail, but also make sure that you pack out everything you bring in. And it's also a good idea in that little trash bag you bring with yourself for your own stuff to just pick up other trash you might see along the trail along the way. Because again, a lot of this is done by volunteers and that'll really help those volunteer crews out. And then if you can um, check out your, there are hike, local hiking clubs. So we're the big national kind of advocacy mm -hmm. organization. There's a lot of local hiking clubs, even for your specific trails, right? Check them out and see if you can volunteer with them on a weekend. They have a lot of cleanup events all over the country. Hmm. Uh, now, Kate, I, I hope that you will allow me to deviate off the trail right now from this conversation. <laughs> Safe. Sure. Uh, 
You have had a career uh, of of particular note. Just looking over some of the places that you've worked, you've worked with the One Campaign, Feed the Future, the UN, NASA, the Smithsonian Institute, and now Amazing. the American Hiking Institute, or, or I'm sorry, the American Hiking Society. And if you remember the old Sesame Street song, which is one of these kids is not like the other, it seems like... This, the hiking society, doesn't seem to fit in with all those. How did you get from all of those other careers to where you are today? I had a very, I have the most random resume ever, right? It's a very twisty trail. It's pretty cool. (laughs) My my resume. Um, This is why, this is why I often, I often tell folks, and I'm going to get in trouble with all of the job coaches and stuff out there, because I always say, you know what, don't worry about your five-year plan. Yeah. Do the next thing that sounds really fun. So I'm about to get, I'm about to get in a lot of trouble. Do the next thing that sounds really fun is is what I tell people, because if you, if you have the luxury of doing that, right, we don't all Mm -hmm. have the luxury of doing a job that's, that is fun and exciting to us. But if you have that luxury, that's what you'll be best at. And, um, Basically, I've been a hiker and just outdoorsy my whole life. Um, I've always loved it. I've always done it for fun. And then when I heard that American Hiking Society was looking for an executive director, I was like, "That's a that's a job. Like that's a thing I could do. Oh my gosh! Like sign me up." So so basically, I'm getting to do what I always did for fun now for a job. Although I always joke that like I'm sitting behind the computer so everybody else can hike. Yeah, so I was kind of like, Aww. "Oh, that means I'll be hiking all the time." And I was like, "Oh no, that that's not exactly Actually. what that means." But but we get out as much as we can. Well, and I understand that the American Hiking Society has some events coming up for National Trails Day. What are those like? How can we get involved across the country? Yeah, so this happens, uh, you know, this is uh, American Hiking Society launched um, with some other partners, uh, National Trails Day back in the 90s. So it's been going on for a while. And it happens the first Saturday of every June, every year. And normally we have um, a bunch of, there are a bunch of in-person events across the country. And if you want to have an event, so if you want to organize, say, a cleanup hike for, for your local trail, or if you want to organize, it can also be um, water sports. So like. Oh, Kate, did we lose you? Oh, oh shoot. I think the, uh, the the call just dropped, but I. I'm here. Oh, Sorry. There, there you go. There Sorry, I don't know You're what back. happened. That was no, weird. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, that was very strange. Um, yeah, so there are, you know, I was I was saying there are uh, paddle sports and stuff too. It can be mm. water trails or whatever trail. So if you wanna if you want to host an event, you can do a cleanup along the your local trail. You can do you can teach people to stand up paddleboard, whatever you want. Um, and there's a mix of kind of events, even equestrian events. So you can sign up your event, register your event on our website, and um, and that's. Um, at AmericanHiking.org. So just go there and register your event and that way people can find it and there'll be events all across the country. Um, normally we do a ton of in-person events, right? But because of COVID, um, we're kind of mixing it up this year where you can either do an in-person event as long as you're following whatever your local guidelines are from the number of people that can be out together or you can register a virtual event. And a virtual event is a really fun way also for folks to be able to connect um, on social media. And, uh, you know, National Trails Day reaches about 20 million people. Last wow. time it reached about 20 million people on social <laughs> media. So it's a big, big deal. And this is a great way to, um, you know, to, to raise awareness about your local park and your local trail by hosting one of these events. Okay. And then we advocate for, um, for equity for all, so for better inclusivity in the outdoors and also to protect and maintain our trails. Putting you on the spot real quick before we let you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite favorite hike or Ooh, one of your favorite yeah. hikes? Ooh. Oh, favorite hike. That would be the Grinnell Glacier Trail. It's very easy to pick this one uh, in Glacier National Park. Mm-hmm. What's so cool about that trail, you have to be real careful about bears, but what's so cool about it is it's 100% view the whole way. Oh, nice. So it's just hiking along the edge of a big glacial valley and then up to a lake that has little icebergs floating in it from the the glacier that is sadly dying, but from the Grinnell Glacier um, right next to that lake. So it's absolutely gorgeous. Wow. Kate Van Wass, the executive director of the American Hiking Society. It's an organization with the mission of empowering all to enjoy, share, and preserve the hiking experience. You can learn more by going to AmericanHiking.org. 
or find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at American Hiking. Kate, thanks for being on the show with us. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Lisa Show. As always, uh, speaking of DMs, we didn't even mention this. Uh, our inbox, that is our email inbox, mm. always open. Uh, you can send us messages, whether they are segments that you would like to hear on the show, guests, maybe you're reading a book and thinking, you know, th- the author of this, this is book really great. would be a real great mm-hmm. guest, maybe a blog post. You remember blogs. Uh, whatever it is that you uh, think would make a great segment for the show, we love having your feedback. It's the Lisa Show at BYU.edu. Now, I just wanted to check in. Uh, there are drone, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and cars that can drive themselves. Like, we have all of that technology right now. I'm just a reality check about the world that we live in. The future is now. <laughs> now, the world's technology is changing rapidly, and almost every aspect of our lives are changing along with it. And one of those aspects is interior design. And today we are going to explore some of the home trends inspired by technology with friend of the show, Carrie Ann Rhodes. Welcome, Carrie Ann. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Good morning, friends. Good morning. So this is an interesting idea in uh, that technology influences actual design and not sort of vice versa. And what ways do we see that? Help us to understand in, it. In really surprising ways, it, was, um, it wasn't until I began to teach interior design, and, and in particular teaching the history of interior design, um, where we explored things like what, what kind of social factors um, – drive home arrangements, like things like that. I, hmm. I was familiar with the concept of like, well, when, when it was more common for, you know, American households to employ um, hired help, like a cleaner or a cook or things like that up until the, you know, early 1900s, all the way kind of pre-World War II, that affected how we arranged our houses. And so then, oh. as we're talking about materials, we, we begin to see this kind of pattern as, a certain materials become better quality or there's kind of advancements in how they're made. We see them being used in different ways in the home. And it just kind of, it kind of became like a little, a, a thing that I began to pay really close attention to. So if you, just for fun. Hey, uh, Car- Carrie Ann, Carrie Ann, yeah. I don't mean to, I don't mean to interrupt you. Uh, your phone is coming in really bad. We're going to try uh, and reconnect with you and then have you back on just so we can make sure that we're getting the best from you. It's a little bit hard to understand. So we'll just take a break and, and try and reconnect with her. But this is an interesting idea because right. I thought that when we were talking about technology and home design that we would talk about things like, or at least start the conversation f- with technology of things that we already use, like uh, smart fridges, mm, you know, like mm-hmm. that remind you when you're out of milk and things like yeah. that. But but when Carrie Ann sets it up of like, no, this is like even the way that we, you know, situate all the furniture is being affected by technology. I think yeah. that and, and the man-made sort of a materials that we use to build furniture and things like that. I think that's kind of an, an interesting idea. Yeah, I just had my fingers crossed that we would be talking about the food rehydrator from uh, Back to the Future 2 where they have the little <laughs> pizza. That's where I was hoping this was, right? Where, where are you going to put your food rehydrator oh, in your house? Oh, yeah. Ugh. Well, because think about it, though. I mean, that is really funny because I think a lot of like science fiction does come into reality. I think we have Carrie Ann back on. Are you there? <laughs> I'm Sorry. Here. Oh, yeah. You sound so, much better. The irony of, of talking about technology when your technology is not working. Oh, yeah. Not mm-hmm. lost um, on us. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my favorite. Like rain, really. <laughs> on a wedding. Never mind. Right. No, okay, wait. so you, we were talking about social factors that, that, that influence, you know, and drive arrangement and, and those kinds of materials. Um, how, how is um, technology really influencing design right now? What do you see? Well, well we thought, right, like we, we thought decades ago, imagine what we thought the future was going to be like, right? Mm-hmm. We thought it was going to be like the Jetsons, and we yeah. thought everything was going to be so minimal and... Um, everything was automated and it's interesting to see these little forays into technology that, that home design has taken. For instance, about 20, 25 years ago, the idea of home automation kind of became more of a reality with the idea of internet and, and 
kind of devices being able to connect to one another. And yet, 25 years later, it's interesting to see how it has not caught on. Hmm. So think, think of the things in your house that you can control by your phone. Um, and what do you actually use or what do you not use? Kind of, you know what I mean? Think, yeah. think about... So, for instance, my mom, my parents just moved into a new home, so they have new appliances in the, in the home, and their stove and their microwave can be controlled by their phone. Wow. <laughs> mom, even their microwave? Even their microwave. And my mom keeps, you know, saying, why would I want to control the microwave <laughs> with my phone? I know. I know. I can't think of a reason. <laughs> and And part of it is this idea of, like, well, there's this drive to automate everything, but then there's this mo- then there's this kind of time of well, what really makes sense? Hmm. The microwave is a good example. When, when it came out, you know, forty-ish years ago, can you believe a microwave's forty years old? Happy birthday, um, microwave! That's right. <laughs> you're over, you're over the, getting old now. We thought the microwave would totally transform the way we cooked, and yeah. it, it was a huge appliance. It was a status appliance. It sat right out on the counter, and. Microwaves are actually getting smaller. We use microwaves to reheat food. We do not use microwaves mm-hmm. to cook food the way that, you know. No, we tried that. I, we tried that in the 80s. You can taste yeah. the difference. Yeah. No, I remember yeah. when we got our first microwave when my little sister was born. It was a big deal. Yeah. It People was a huge yeah, deal. I mean, deal. sure, your little sister was a big deal, but the no, microwave, no. much bigger. <laughs> yeah, her birth was overshadowed by the purchase of the microwave. And so we can't really we can't really tell what's going to be the flash in the pan until later. Hmm. So things that I think that I'm predicting will be kind of flash in the pan technology, uh-huh. for instance, are like the TV screens in the in the fridges. I think we've talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. How? Why would you need a TV on your on your refrigerator? And is it is it the idea? Sometimes it's the idea that you can see what's in your fridge before you open the door. So it kind of eliminates that issue of having a teenager stand in front of the, you know, the mm-hmm. open refrigerator for five minutes trying to decide what they want to eat. But um, as entertainment, it just hasn't caught on. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's novelty without um, good use. So what of. do you think is going to last? So things that I think are going to last, um, the idea of something that is becoming cheap and available to, you know, the masses are things like home security. So even even the doorbells that have that you can control with your phone, that you can see who's at the door, you can choose to answer or not, you can speak to the person. That's a technology that has been made available and is catching on. Like it's actually helpful and useful. Mm-hmm. Things like smart speakers in your home, that's one home automation that I have seen catch on where people want multiple speakers in multiple rooms that can be controlled by a device. So there's there's a technology that's uh, going to stick around, I think, for a little while longer. Yeah. Um, things I th- another thing I think might be a flash in the pan are ice makers. We've we've had ice coming out of our refrigerators for decades now, and now we want additional. Now it's like that status thing to have like an under the counter ice maker that because um, well, of the pebble like ice, a little fridge. the crunchy well, ice, because of the the pebble ice, but I see that like, I feel like that is something that can be incorporated into what they're already doing into a refrigerator hmm. so that you're not being, you know, if you're not being forced to buy that extra status hmm. appliance. It's going to be, it's going to force refrigerator manufacturers to make better ice for the fridge. Maybe. What about uh, the lighting system, smart lights? Those, uh, those have been somewhat successful. Um, we're getting it's kind of, I, I see the need to kind of gather in that technology in kind of into a better format. Because right now we've got light bulbs that can be controlled by remote control, mm-hmm. which is excellent. So, for instance, our, our the light that we have out in front of our house has a smart light bulb in it. And so, you know, on the 4th of July, it can flash red, white, and blue. And on <laughs> game day, it flashes, you know, go team colors. <laughs> But who wants a remote control for every light bulb in their house? It's a lot to keep track of. It's a and, lot to keep track of. And, you know, Carrie Ann, I appreciate when you're here on the show on, you know, coming every Monday to talk to us about interior design and to, and to really help us see, 
you know, ways that we can take care of our homes that are intentional actually make sense. And so, the you know, the, we've been talking about the different trends about it, but now I, I would love to give you the opportunity to talk about the, the things that you see on the horizon that might make our our lives like a little bit uh, better or whether it's easier or or more automated um, that, that we might not have considered before. I think the thing that we thought would happen is that we'd have robots that cleaned everything. And I think even simple innovations of like the Roomba type vacuum, where those types of things are automated in our house, I think we're going to see technology um, head in that direction a little bit, like a little better automation, maybe not like complete full home automation, but the the kind of irony is the, in this is the huge trend right now for interior design mm-hmm. is the farmhouse, hmm. and so everyone wants everyone wants their home to have these authentic materials and to look comfortable. And you know the, the farmhouse chic is definitely a trend right now. So we have all this technology blending in with things that are comfortable and traditional and beautiful and natural and. That's what that's what's interesting me right now as an interior designer is this blend of technology, but absolutely traditional home feel. For those who aren't familiar with the farmhouse trend, will you uh, take some time to explain it a little bit? It's chickens. No. You let you let the horse into your home. It, lots of barn woods. You can actually import. I'm not sure if you knew this. You two. You can import the smell. Oh, yeah. and a candle. Yeah, it, it, and yeah, a plug-in. And oh. now available in plug-in. Gross. <laughs> I got kids. I got enough smell yeah, in my yeah, house. Serious. Thank you. <laughs> uh, far, so the farmhouse style right now, and again, this is a look that is driven <clears throat> by technology in some ways. Um, previously, you, you had kind of so it's natural materials like a wood floor, um, you know, you know, kind of traditional walls, but having maybe some exposed wooden elements or uh, such as exposed beams, or even kind of bringing back wood cabinetry in some kind of in some in some form it's been very popular lately to paint um your wooden cabinets whether they're in your bathroom or whether they're in your kitchen and that also was driven by technology as it became cheaper Hmm. um, to make different types of cabinets with machine rather than by routing everything by hand um in the 90s we went back to everything was wood and then it kind of got boring and we started painting colors again And now we're going back to this kind of idea of lighter woods, like a white oak, natural finishes, um, but still incorporating that color. And that's all kind of technology driven. Um, the The less expensive it becomes to manufacture some of these things, the more available they become to everybody. So a farmhouse look looks authentic. It looks like a wooden floor. It looks like those wooden elements. It looks like comfort. Um, but it's also very clean. We're not talking the modern element to it is it's clean lines. It's not um, gaudy or Victorian or you know mm-hmm. anything like that. It's it's very simple and clean but authentic. And it's technology that allows us to have those authentic things be affordable in a new home. I wish I would have had your advice about the farmhouse before. We did a big renovation this weekend. We just brought in a lot of hay okay. and just strew it about the house. And then it turns out that's not to, a lot that to clean up this that, week. Yeah, a, t- a ton, yeah. but apparently that's not what this whole trend is. <laughs> you got is. the wrong memo. And weirdly, your allergies are acting up. Yes. <laughs> How did you know? I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about technology of, of, of something that maybe is here to stay. And, and that is the, the sort of home security, you know, having cameras, being able to check on your property and lock your doors and your windows and turn on lights all from your um, from your smartphone. Um, knowing that this may be a trend that's here to stay. Are there any does that concern you at, at all about having cameras and systems and companies with that sort of information? <laughs> uh, that thought has crossed my mind. Um, I mean, I think it's part marketing, right? There, the, um, companies like Simply Safe have been marketing hugely to, um, to the right customers, right? Algorithms on our social media, um, I hear them advertise on podcasts. Like they're really trying to target this kind of audience. And it made me wonder, do we need this? Like, are people really, you know, kind of fearing? And, and this has been a, a, a frightening past year. And there have been many changes and many kind of 
ups and downs with things. And maybe people are feeling a little bit insecure in their homes. And these companies have, have made the technology of, you know, alarming your house or, you know, providing video footage to your house. They've made it very simple and it's also affordable. Again, they're making it available. Um, but some advantages that we've seen are things like as we're shopping more online, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense to have a camera at your front door that you can verify. Sure. Yes, the package got dropped off or no, it didn't. And in some areas, I lived in the neighborhood where package theft was very common. The houses oh. were very close together. Um, it just was easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so think that kind of security um, is based is is changing based on our behavior changing. So as we're shopping more online and having things delivered to our homes, the idea of changing security a little bit does make sense. It's not a fear-based thing. It's more of um, just tracking who who's coming to your door and, you know, they left it and I can see that and it's, it's good for business. Yeah. You know, if you if you two will indulge me, um, this technology has actually mm-hmm. had to change some of the interior decorating that I've done at my house. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, really? I, I used to have vinyl lettering that said, dance like no one's watching. <laughs> it's and, not accurate. And, and now it's not accurate. Once I realized with my cameras, dance you know. Dance like keep, a few people yeah, are watching. Like maybe the internet's watching. <laughs> had to rip the original down. The design had to come now up differently. Now the vinyl lettering says, make it count. Yeah. And a one. And, and a two. two. <laughs> no, you know, oh, it, is a, it is a changing the way I think that we use interior decorating, but also the way that I think that that we parent as well. You know, people talk about baby monitors, you know, make sure your kid is 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 breathing and is safe. But right. but I have loved using a camera to be able to talk no matter where I am to my kids, like, hey, you're gonna be late for school. Get going. I know I see you you're on your phone. It's time to put it away. No, you know, and you can parent what time from a did distance. You get home last mm-hmm. night. Well the check in Do you at the know door how says, many times I've I'm actually sure. done right. that? What time? No, let's roll back video footage. It's been so satisfying as a parent. Objection. (laughs) That's one technology Walter Cronkite talked, you know, showed in that little um, homes of the future that actually has happened is video calls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the the, the, the trend. Um, we always appreciate being able to talk to you, Carrie Ann Rhodes, about you know interior design, technology, the intersection of it. Um, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Don't forget you can follow Carrie Ann uh, on The Lisa Show on Instagram. It's Carrie on The Lisa Show with underscores between each of those words. Carrie underscore on underscore the underscore, underscore Lisa underscore show. show. Try not to sing the song when you find her on Instagram. The song? Carry on the oh. Lisa show. Every time. Without <laughs> Every fail. Time. I forget you and never it, do. It'll be in my <laughs> it'll be in my head later today. If you are not finding and following the Lisa show wherever you social media lies, is that a word? I'm not sure. Uh, be sure that you find the Lisa show that you follow and you are welcome to interact with us there. You can find us on the BYU radio app, which is free. You can email us at the Lisa show at BYU.edu. What we're saying essentially is we would love to hear from you. I'm not going to beg, but I am going to ask very nicely. You're welcome to reach out to us. Thanks for listening to the Lisa show.